Uh, you'll notice that the music team aren't sitting down yet. I'm only up here at the moment to read the Bible passage to you. Um, it is a slightly longer one and I wanted to separate it from the sermon just so that we could uh, sit and listen to it and then come back to the sermon afterwards. Not quite as long as chapters 1 to 7, so don't worry about that. I've been given the task of chapters 8 and 9 this week, um, but just like Cam wasn't able to get through everything that he was given last week, sometimes we've got to take parts of it. Um, so this is in Leviticus chapter 8. If you would like to follow along, um, it's on page 103 in the Pew Bibles. Um, But don't feel like you have to follow along. Perhaps you just want to sit and listen to it and listen to some of the imagery that's there um, in these sacrifices that are occurring and some of the imagery also when Aaron and his sons are robed. This is an ordination service. This is setting up uh, the sacrificial system. So you may want to just sit and listen. So starting from verse 1 in chapter 8. Then the Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron and his sons, their garments, the anointing oil, the bull for the sin offering, two rams and the basket containing bread made without yeast, and gather the entire assembly at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the assembly gathered at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Moses said to the assembly, This is what the Lord has commanded to be done. Then Moses brought Aaron and his sons forward and washed them with water. He put the tunic on Aaron, tied the sash around him, clothed him with the robe and put the ephod on him. He also tied the ephod to him by its skillfully woven waistband, so it was fastened on him. He placed the breastpiece on him and put the urim and tumim in the breastpiece. Then he placed the turban on Aaron's head and set the gold plate, the sacred diadem, on the front of it, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and everything in it, so he consecrated them. He sprinkled some of the oil on the altar seven times, anointing the altar and all its utensils and the basin with its stand, to consecrate them. He poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. Then he brought Aaron's sons forward. He put tunics on them and sashes around them and put headbands on them as the Lord commanded Moses. He then presented the bull for the sin offering. And Aaron and his sons laid their hands on its head. Moses slaughtered the bull and took some of the blood. And with his finger, he put it on all the horns of the altar to purify the altar. He poured out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. So he consecrated it to make atonement for it. Moses also took all the fat around the inner parts, the covering of the liver and both kidneys and their fat and burned it on the altar. But the bull with its hide and its flesh and its offal he burned up outside the camp as the Lord commanded Moses. He then presented the ram for the burnt offering and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on its head. Then Moses slaughtered the ram and sprinkled the blood against the altar on on all sides. He cut the ram into pieces and burned the head, the pieces and the fat. He washed the inner parts and the legs with water and burned the whole ram on the altar as a burnt offering, 
a pleasing aroma, an offering made to the Lord by fire, as the Lord commanded Moses. He then presented the other ram, the ram for the ordination, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on its head. Moses slaughtered the ram and took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear, on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. Moses also brought Aaron's sons forward and put some of the blood on the lobes of their right ears, on the thumbs of their right hands and on the big toe of their right feet. Then he sprinkled blood against the altar on all sides. He took the fat, the fat tail, all the fat around the inner parts, the covering of the liver, both kidneys and their fat, and the right thigh. And we'll stop there. In our lives, there are plenty of significant events, birthdays, graduations, weddings. But some events, I guess, have a little bit more significance than others, don't they? And when they're a bit more significant, often there's a larger crowd that's gathered at those significant events. And perhaps um, it's more significant because it's the only time it occurs. And so there's a whole crowd that wants to gather to see this event. It's the only time that occurs. Or perhaps it's the start of something new, the inauguration of something. It's happening for the first time and everyone wants to be around to see what is happening for the first time. And I reckon when there's big events like these, I reckon the Americans do it pretty well, don't they? And here is uh, the presidential inauguration. Now, I've chosen um, Obama's presidential inauguration here, principally because if you sort of compare that to Trump's uh, inauguration, there's far less people at Trump's inauguration. And uh, it didn't prove my point as much. So I went back to Obama to say when there's a big event, there is a big crowd that is gathered. And when that crowd gathers, there's great anticipation of what is going to happen. There's anticipation of what this new president is going to bring. There's anticipation about hope for the future. There's anticipation about the changes that will occur and happen. When we read the Bible passage earlier today, and you might have missed it, but there was a large crowd that was gathered there. And when they were gathered, they were gathered around the uh, tent of meeting. And uh, it's described almost, it, it comes across as the whole of Israel is gathered there to see this event, this massive event, this significant event. Some have questioned that, whether it's possible to get all of Israel uh, around this entrance to the tent. And they've said that maybe it was just um, significant people in the eldership of the 12 tribes of Israel that were gathered there. It doesn't really matter for our purposes today who was gathered there. What matters for our purpose is there was a crowd gathered at the tent of meeting to witness something that was very significant in Israel's history. And to understand why it was so significant, we actually need to get back into the story of Israel. These, um, the things that happen in Leviticus don't happen in isolation. They're not just a set of rules or anything that are done without considering the larger story of Israel. So we need to consider their story. And you might remember that the Israelites were the people that were brought out of Egypt, out of Egypt with God's mighty act of deliverance, his mighty hand. And you might remember that these people are the people of the Ten Commandments. They were given the Ten Commandments so that they could be God's holy people, his chosen nation. And in all the events that happened for the Israelites, 
God has a plan. And his plan is this, and it says it numerous times in uh, Exodus, it says, I will be your God and you will be my people. That is God's plan for the Israelites, that they will know him as their God and they will be his people. So this is an incredibly important event that the crowd are sitting in and witnessing because what's happened here is Aaron and his sons are being consecrated so that the sacrificial system is set up and if the sacrificial system is set up, it is a way of God being God amongst his people. It is a way of God having his presence among his people. This event is so significant that it's possibly the most significant thing that happens in Israel's history because it's saying that God is amongst his people. And so we need this perspective as we start to read this sacrificial system and what's happening. But throughout this sermon, I want you to um, think of yourselves in the shoes of the Israelites who are looking on, those who are observing the service. And we'll pause at various times to consider what they're seeing. What's happening as Aaron's being clothed? What's happening as these sacrifices are taking place? The very first thing that we come to when they're looking on and seeing what is taking place is that there is a washing that occurs. And it says in Leviticus 8.6, Then Moses brought Aaron and his sons forward and washed them with water. It's pretty easy to skip over that and miss it, isn't it? Um, Leviticus is pretty hard to read and it's hard to read because sometimes it just says things and it doesn't give you an explanation as to why these things are occurring. And um, part of the reason is because it's not actually written originally to us, is it? It's written to the Israelites who knew the significance of things that were happening. Now, one possible reason why this washing occurred is just for a practical reason. They were about to do a sacrifice and if they were doing a sacrifice, your hands needed to be clean. You needed to be clean so that you're not contaminating anything. I guess it's like a doctor who scrubs up before going into surgery. He's making sure that there's no germs present to make sure that what happens is a success. So that's one possible reason of what's happening. I guess it's really important because if they actually ate the sacrifice, part of the sacrifice afterwards, so you needed to be clean in order to handle the food and things like that. But I'm not completely satisfied that that's the reason that this washing occurred. You see, the Israelites had this um, understanding of ceremony that we often don't quite understand. And they knew this principle that was sort of a part for the whole principle. And the part for the whole meant if something was uh, clean, then that indicates the whole thing is clean. So if Moses washed Aaron and his son's hands, that indicates not that the hands are clean, but the whole body is clean. If the hands are clean, then the heart is also clean. And why is that important? Well, it's important because when they come into the presence of a holy God, they had to be clean. Cam talked about that a few weeks ago um, when he talked about what was uh, clean. There was a scale, wasn't there? Sorry, from unclean through to most holy. And what is holy, which is God, can't come into the presence of something that is unclean. So there was a symbolic washing that was occurring so that they could come into God's presence. Now, what's the relevance of that for us today? Because that happened in the past, didn't it? That's the sacrificial system. What does that have to do with us? Well, don't be too quick to dismiss the fact that washing is important. Because the importance of washing 
indicates the presence of God to us. And we have a ceremony which is washing, don't we, as part of the Christian church. We have something called baptism. And in baptism, we are washed, we are purified, we are made clean, we put away our sins so that we can come into the presence of a holy God. Baptism is really significant in the Christian church. Now, I don't want you to get the idea that I'm saying that it's the act of um, being dunked in water or dipped in water, whatever it might be, uh, that makes us clean. What I'm saying is the connection of baptism with the death of Christ is what makes us clean so that we can come into God's presence. So this idea of washing and being clean is still relevant to us today. I actually love the story of people's baptisms. I love it because I often hear of how God opens doors to people after they've been baptised. I love it because I guess it resonates with my own story. When I was 18 and I was baptised, my life was going in one particular direction and then suddenly things started to happen. And I found myself going in a different direction as I was opened more and more to God's presence. And it was a wonderful time for me. Um, And I reckon as a church we should consider baptism a little bit more. What does it mean to be washed and purified? If you're not baptised and you believe in Jesus Christ, then talk to people around you about being baptised. Talk to Cam about it. Being baptised is incredibly important in our Christian walk. If you are someone that's baptised, then be thankful that you have been washed, that you have been purified. Be thankful that God's presence is just so available to you. But um, washing was not the only thing that had order in this service. It was really, really hard. I'm going to take that off because you're all going to read it before we get to it. Um, (laughs) uh, There were three things that occurred, three different sacrifices that occurred uh, in this service. And I don't know if you picked up on them. The first one was the sin offering. The second one was the burnt offering. And the final one was the ordination offering. The ordination offering is very similar to what Cam was talking about last week um, when he spoke about the peace offering, but this is an ordination service. And um, so now let's read. It says in Leviticus 8.14, he then presented the bull for the sin offering. The sin offering is the one that has to come first. And Aaron and his sons laid their hands on its head. When they put their hands on its head, it's saying, I identify with this animal, the sins that I have, I'm passing to this animal, and this animal is being slaughtered in my place. It's an interesting representation. Moses then slaughtered the bull and took some of the blood, and with his finger he put it on all the horns of the altar to purify the altar. He poured out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar, so he consecrated it to make atonement for it. But what's the reason for this? Why did this sin offering have to occur? Well, the priests were contaminated, just like everyone else, they were contaminated by sin. And we've already seen that in order for something to come into the presence of something that is holy, it needs to be made clean, doesn't it? And so an atonement had to be made even for these priests. These priests had to be atoned for by the sin offering so that they could go and do the rest of their work. And the rest of their work, I think, is immensely important. The next sacrifice that occurs is the burnt offering. Now, for me, this offering is probably the most significant offering. Now, I don't want to sort of degrade the sin offering or anything like that. But the reason the burnt offering is so important is because it 
shows God's presence with his people. The burnt offering was done morning and evening every day by the priests. Now that's a lot, but it's to show that continually God wants to be with his people. God is going to be present with his people. But in order for that to occur, the sin offering had to occur so that the priest could be atoned for and then come into God's presence to do that. And it makes us wonder, if you were the people looking on, what would you have seen? If you were the people looking on, I reckon you would have been immensely aware of your sin. You would have been immensely aware that when they're putting their hands on the bull's head, they're identifying with the bull that's going to be slaughtered and you're realising that because of your sin, until your sin is atoned for, you cannot come into the presence of a holy God. Now, um, the system was put in place so that they could realise the enormity of their sin. Sometimes we're a bit blasé about our sin, aren't we? But the enormity of our sin is really seen in this passage. There's something else occurring though as well as um, what's visual. There's another thing that's occurring which is an aromatic thing that's occurring and I don't know if you've picked it up but it talks about um, a burnt offering that's a pleasing aroma to God. Did you pick up on that? In fact, it was, it's in all three offerings that occur, there's a burning that happens and when that burning uh, happens, there's an aroma that comes up. Often the um, fat was used in order to put into the burnt offering so that when it was burnt up, this aroma would come out. And the aroma is described as something that's pleasing to the Lord. I guess it's a bit like food. Um, I happen to love lasagna and when I smell lasagna, I'm enticed to go and eat that lasagna. Um, I don't actually cook lasagna myself, it's too much effort, but I love it when people cook lasagna and it's got just such a lovely aroma. Or perhaps for you it's um, coffee. I also like the smell of coffee, I just don't like the taste of it. But when there's an aroma going off, the aroma entices us to that. And what this passage is saying is, There is a burnt offering that's going up. There's an aroma that's pleasing to God going up and he is pleased with the sacrifice because it means he can come into our presence. But more than that, he's not only pleased with the sacrifice, he is pleased with us. The people looking on would have known that this aroma meant that God is pleased with us. Now, they were still a sinful people. They would have been well aware of their grumblings in the wilderness. They would have been well aware of the golden calf issue which actually delayed the institution of these sacrifices. And they would have been aware that they caused Moses to whack that rock uh, in frustration and so prevent Moses from going into the promised land. They were aware of their sin. But in this offering it tells us despite their sin they are still a pleasing aroma to God. And when they're looking on and seeing all these sacrifices take place and they see the um, offering happening and they smell the offering, they know that God is pleased with the offering and that they know that God is pleased with them. For us looking on, God is pleased with us. We are a pleasing aroma to God. No matter what we've done during the week or the year or our lifetime, our sin, because of what Christ has done on the cross, does not separate us from God. We can now come into God's presence and to God we are a pleasing aroma. It makes me wonder though whether we take the 
Um, If we take God's presence as seriously as he delights to be in ours. Sometimes I wonder whether during prayer I'm actually doing it just for the sake of it or whether I'm doing it because I delight to be in God's presence. That's what should be happening. We should be delighting to be in God's presence just as he delights to have us in his presence. Um, Parents, I guess, would be able to have a better understanding of this uh, than I would, but I know parents absolutely love to be involved in their kids' lives, don't they? But sometimes their kids don't always give that uh, back and they're not always as keen to be involved in their parents' lives, particularly as they get older. And it's a little bit like that with us and God. Sometimes God just delights to be around us and we're not so keen to give that back. We move on now to um, the robing, I guess, of Aaron and his sons. And so we read from Leviticus 8, 7-9, it says, Moses put the tunic on Aaron, tied the sash around him, clothed him with the robe and put the ephod on him. He also fastened the ephod with a decorative waistband, which he tied around him. He placed the breastpiece on him and put the urim and tumim in the breastpiece. Then he placed the turban on Aaron's head and set the gold plate, the sacred emblem, on the front of it, as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, as we read this... um, It's a bit hard as 21st century people to have some idea of what's going on here. We don't have um, these uniforms as much these days, do we? It still exists um, in some parts of the church. And if we go back 50 years in the church, um, you've probably got more ministers and priests wearing those white robes, which I guess are symbolising purity. In our culture, though, we still do have, say, police officers, which wear a particular uniform. And that uniform indicates not the character or the type of person that they are, but it indicates their role or their office. It indicates that the policeman is there to protect the community. So too, when we read this about um, Aaron and his sons placing these robes on them, it tells us something about their office. And in fact, if they didn't have these robes on, um, the robes sort of conferred the office on them. So if they didn't have the robes on, they were unable to undertake the sacrifices. So the robes tell us something about the office. But let's try and explain a little bit about, and we'll go through um, some of the elements. You know, I said before that it's a bit hard to understand Leviticus because there's not a lot of explanation. And this is another passage which occurs where there's not a lot of explanation. It just says uh, these different items were put on. But from reading more broadly in the Bible and probably a bit from the ancient Near Eastern culture as well, we can start to understand some of the things that occur here. So we start with the white robe, um, the one that was put on first, and that really is something that's representing purity. So the, the priest needs to be pure, the pre- priest needs to be cu- um, become clean in order to come into God's presence. At next, can you see the blue robe that's there? Now, the blue robe um, was a woolen robe, and it was made out of a single piece of cloth. Now, Israelites did this quite regularly. They um, said we can't mix pieces of cloth because we are a holy people. If we are a holy people, we can't mix with the nations around us and therefore we represent that in our clothing. So they couldn't uh, knit things together and bring things together that were other than the original thing. So that is one piece of cloth just to represent a holy people. Um, Then that 
I don't know, looks sort of yellowy orange coloured thing over the top which is uh, of the blue robe, which is called the ephod. Um, and the ephod um, had some material in it that was used in the construction of the temple. So it's something that represents um, the priest being part of this temple. Then we come to the breast um, piece, which has 12 different stones on it. And those stones are representing the 12 tribes of Israel. So it's saying that this priest has a representative role. When he comes and he offers the sacrifice, he is representing the 12 tribes of Israel. He's representing that whole community. And then we come to these really weird words that are untranslated in in the Bibles, the Urim and the Tumim. Now the Urim and the Tumim are on um, his shoulders there. It doesn't show up very well here, but it's actually um, more some stones that are there. And those stones uh, probably have six tribes on each of them written on there, so it's still representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And people believe that these were like um, getting God's wisdom. So the priest represented God's wisdom. Uh, The Urim, the word for Urim sounds a little bit like the word for light, and the one for Tumim they think is a bit like the word for truth. So light and truth. Um, And when you put light and truth together, I guess it's something to do with wisdom. Some people thought that these were sort of like dice and they had sort of a yes, a no and a a neutral sort of answer. And people could go to the priest to request wisdom and I don't think he would actually throw the dice to see what it came up with, but I think it was representative of the fact that he was in touch with God's wisdom and able to say, yes, you should do this in your life or no, you shouldn't do that in your life. Um, But the clothing of Aaron and his sons was not the only thing that occurred in terms of having something applied to them. Um, When we read Leviticus 8.23, it says this, Moses slaughtered the ram and took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his foot. It's a bit weird, isn't it? A bit unusual. Obviously, blood is something that cleanses, and we know that from Christ's death. But if there was blood put on the right ear, it's the part for the whole principle again. If you put it on part of the ear, it's representing that all of us, or all of the priest, is tuned in to what God has to say. When you put the blood on the right thumb, it's indicating that his hands are able to do the sacrifices. His hands are holy and able to do that. And when you put it on the foot, it means that the priest is able to walk in the holy places. Now that was particularly important for the high priest who was going to go once a year into the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies was where God's presence was contained. So if he had this blood on his toe, it symbolised that he was able to go into God's presence. Looking on... What would you see? If you're the people looking on, you would see that you have access to God's glorious presence through what the priest is able to do, through the sacrifices that he has to offer. You would see that this is a big day. This is a big day because what what has been instituted here for the priest means that we can now have access to God's glorious presence. They were so affected by this that it describes at the end of chapter 9 as them falling on their faces and just shouting for joy. 
This was a big day. It was a day where God's presence could be amongst his people and God had provided a means for that to happen. Let's just jump back into the story of Israel again. In the story of Israel, we have Israel being delivered out of the land of Egypt. Like them, we are delivered from our sin. In the story of Israel, they have a high priest that goes before them who represents them and is able to atone for their sins and bring God's presence. We too have a great high priest whose name is Jesus. But there's something that's significant that happens when we come to the New Testament that is quite different from the Old Testament. And that thing is that it describes us in 1 Peter 2.5 as a holy priesthood. And what that means is we are no longer a people looking on. We are no longer those people that are outside the tent witnessing what's happening, witnessing the mediation that's happening between the priests and God. We are now described as a holy priesthood, which means we are brought into the temple um, and we are part of this tabernacle. Now, why has this occurred? Why are we no longer looking on? Well, the reason is because we don't have a priest that has to continually offer sacrifices to atone for our sins. We have a high priest, Jesus Christ, who has paid the penalty once and for all for our sins. So no longer do we have to have these priests that are mediating and it brings us into the temple and it brings us to a place where we have full access to the presence of God. No longer do we need these sacrifices. We now have full presence of God. The other reason that um, this occurs is because of the Holy Spirit. Once the Holy Spirit has been poured out, it means that God's presence is no longer contained within the tabernacle. Do you remember when Jesus died? There's a description that talks about a curtain and the curtain is torn in two. And the tearing of the curtain in two is indicating that God's presence, which was in the Holy of Holies, has now escaped. God's presence has got out and so it is available to all people. And that is why it is so different from us. We are no longer looking on. We are now the people who are the priests of the Lord. But what does that mean to us? What does it mean that we are the priests of the Lord? Well, in the Bible there's a few descriptions that talk about putting on clothing. And some of them might come to mind. It could be you know, putting on the full armour of God, that type of thing. And some of the imagery that's used is actually using imagery about the priests putting on these garments. And one of them that we have is Colossians 3.12, which says, clothe yourselves. And it doesn't say clothe yourselves with robes like the priests wore or anything. It's different now. We clothe ourselves with compassion. We clothe ourselves with kindness. We clothe ourselves with humility gentleness and patience. When we witness this ordination service, there is a level of passivity that's going on. Um, Aaron and his sons don't actually do much in the service. They are clothed by Moses. And there is an element that when we become priests of God, um, God is doing stuff to us. He clothes us with these things. But there's also an element where we have to be active And Aaron and his sons were active once they started undertaking these sacrifices. And our activity in the church is that we actually have a role. 
We have a role like the priests had a role to do the sacrifices. We have a role in making sure that we are telling the world about Jesus Christ. We have a role in all the sorts of different spiritual gifts that we have. We all have a role. We don't rock up to church thinking that uh, Cam's sort of like a priest and he does it all and we're just passive, passive observers. We have a role and Christ has given us each as priests of the temple a great role. And it would be a wonderful thing in, um, I know our house church at some point we're talking about doing spiritual gifts and just discovering the types of roles that God has given to us to minister in the temple. All of us have a wide um, range, so right through the congregation there's a wide range of gifts that people have for use in this way. And I say this with caution because I know that the um, church in the past, not this church, but churches in the past have often put a lot of pressure on people, haven't they, to be involved in this and that and everything else. Um, That's not what the priestly role is. The priestly role is in making sure that we're just doing what God has called us to do and be involved in the ministry there. I'm a bit hesitant about going too much into uh, the 1 Peter passage because um, the topic of today is the Leviticus passage. But it's really important to read this when it talks about us being um, priests. And it says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession. As priests we are a pleasing aroma to God. And it says this, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. The second thing, the second role that we have as priests is to declare his praises. We as the people of God have the spirit of God amongst us and we should be declaring his his praises. Remember, we have been brought into the temple, into this tabernacle, but there are still people outside. And those people outside, as they look in to see what's happening, they should see that this is a big event, shouldn't they? The Christian church is a big event because God's spirit has been poured out amongst us. We are the people of God, we are the priests of God, and to the people on the outside looking in, they should be jealous for what they see. They should be jealous because they see that God is a God who has compassion. They should be jealous because they see that God is a God of kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. We are no longer looking on, but we are now clothed to be priests of God. So we've seen um, early on that we were washed, we were purified to come into God's presence. And we also saw the importance of baptism in our washing and coming before God. We then saw that we are a pleasing aroma to God. No matter what our sins of the past, because of Christ's death on the cross, we are a pleasing aroma and he delights in us. We saw also towards the end that we are no longer the people looking on, but we are the people that are brought into the tabernacle. We are the priests of God. We have a role to play and part of that role is just making the nations jealous and declaring the praises of God. And I've sort of covered that, haven't I? We are this, uh, this holy priesthood now. We are clothed, therefore, and ordained for service to God. Um, I'm going to ask, um, I'm going to stop there, and I'm actually going to ask Nathan something a bit different today. I'm going to ask Nathan to come up and just um, pray, and he's going to pray sort of as a bit of a response um, to the sermon. Um, music team, feel welcome to come up during this time also, but I'll hand over to Nathan.
Well done, Chris. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we meditate about um, how the priests had to come before you and perform their, their sacrifices and uh, their offerings just in order to, to cleanse their sin and to please you, Lord, we just uh, were overwhelmed with your holiness. Well, thank you for what you show us in Leviticus about that you are holy and that you call us to be holy. But Lord, it's even more amazing that in the New Testament you show us that we are now holy too through the sacrifice of your Son. Thank you, Lord, that you call us to be free from sin and that, Lord, we are now a royal priesthood. Such wonderful news. So Lord, we give you thanks for that. Lord, help us to live out this coming week just in reverence to you and your holiness. Lord, we choose to be holy. We want to be a church who is set apart and who lovingly serves you. So Lord, we just um, give ourselves to you in this coming week. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.